The Hogs are going to Omaha. Oh, intermission. No, it's halftime. You can actually feel Razorback Stadium shaking underneath our feet right now. You just got to keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. Arkansas wins a national championship. What I say when it comes to this basketball team is the law. Absolutely and without discussion. Oh, Ty was a warrior. The Hawks are going to Omaha. Trackouts are boring. Besides that, they're fascist. Throw some ground ball. It's more democratic. Borderline erotic. You're listening to the Halftime Podcast. But this is the last win against a non-con team in the regular season against Grambling today at North Little Rock's Dickey Stevens Park, the home of the AA Arkansas Travelers, opening in 2007. I used to work here, well, I used to work for this franchise for 14 years, six years at the old ballpark, uh, Ray Winder Field in Little Rock, over by the zoo and War Memorial Stadium. It's now a parking lot. And then eight seasons at this ballpark, Dickey Stevens Park, where I did all those games from this very seat. Uh, in fact, this ex- this exact chair, the equipment that I've set my I've, the box that I've set my equipment up on in this booth. Not only was it was it here when I worked here, I brought this thing with me from Pittsburgh. This was in my bedroom as a child. This stand that I've got my equipment on. So nice. it's, almost, it's almost like I'm in my own bedroom now. And yes, I did. I did take a nap or two on the floor of this very booth during a couple of those minor league seasons, which can get so long. So. I, yeah, I'm sure you feel like you're home in the studio, Ty, because you've gotten to know that studio intimately well, and I, I know this booth intimately well as, as well. So this, this feels like coming home, like the prodigal son finally coming home. There you go. My, I'm kind of disappointed because the rumor has it that there used to be a couch in ESPN Stark, Arkansas Studios here in Barling, and it was taken away. So I, I've never got to experience. I actually. For a guy in myself that kind of takes after my dad and falls asleep periodically, takes naps, I have not napped here one time. I have not fallen asleep, which is just surprising to me. Now, I have in various other places, like concerts, just watching TV, whatever it may be. But surprisingly enough, I have not fallen asleep at work once. I, it, will, it will eventually happen, but at this moment in time, I can honestly say I've not fallen asleep at work. I don't know if you've got a place to actually do it there. Unless, I mean, oh, you, I could you, shut the production studio and they wouldn't know the difference. But it's like, where are you going to lay? Are you going to fall asleep in that chair? That would be that would be like falling asleep on Spirit Airlines, where you probably have to pay twenty five bucks just to be able to move your neck a little bit. Yeah, not not the greatest of accommodations. Well, this this booth, I used to sleep with my feet up against the door so that nobody could open it. Uh, so the, like they, and they, it was the one spot that you couldn't see me because of the way the windows are situated. So, yeah, that, that's knowing a booth intimately. When you know exactly the way you're supposed to take a nap so you can get away with it in the middle of the day, uh, yeah, you, you know you know that place pretty well. So that's why this feels like it's my bedroom, too, because I got this stand. This stand held my first ever radio, and it holds my, my radio equipment right now. So the biggest takeaway so far of the show, and probably the show overall the next two hours, is that find a place in your office or where you work that you can sleep without mm-hmm. being spotted for taking the occasional nap. That's what I've taken so far out of this program. I was pretty good at falling asleep in school while not really even them noticing that I was asleep. So I anyway. t- Did I tell you the time I got kicked out of class for falling asleep? Did I tell you that story? I haven't heard about that okay. one. Okay, well, we'll just do it quick. I, I, my teacher had a policy. It was in the syllabus, and this was in college. No sleeping or you get removed from the class. And I thought it was kind of a joke. I had had a late night actually studying, not doing any other extracurricular activities, studying for that class, of all things. And sure enough, I dozed off a few times, and one time lasted a lot longer than the other. And it's like, you need to leave. And I had friends in the class just staring at me, and they were kind of like, eh, this is a tough situation, dude. And so I just had to walk out. That's a, that's the first time I've ever been removed from a class for sleeping, even though I've slept many a times. Well, it's all, it's not, again, it's not cheating unless you get caught. Exactly. So exactly. It's, not, it's not sleeping in class unless you actually get caught. Exactly. So that's, a, that's okay. So the guys are on the way down here. I think the bus left from Bomb Stadium at uh, 1130 in the morning, uh, 630 first pitch. Uh, we're on the air at 6, of course, right here on ESPN Arkansas and all of our affiliates. Um, and uh, the Razorbacks will try to stay hot. Uh, try to stay hot. They've won 9 of 10. This is a team that, just like a lot of Dave Van Horn's teams, uh, definitely the good ones, they usually are playing pretty well this time of the year. This is like February for 
a college basketball team. The last month of the regular season, you want to you want to get your starting rotation set, you want to get your bullpen set, you want to have your lineup set, and at least figure you've got some consistency in those three areas. And and at, you know the last couple of weeks you've had exactly that. Your starting rotation has filled in on the weekends to where Patrick Wicklander and Connor Noland are supplanting uh, Isaiah Campbell, your ace. So you've got your three starters, your bullpen, and I, I'm I'm I'm. I like what's what I've seen in the pen of late. Even though there's there's been some shaky moments from uh, from Jacob Kostyshak since the injury and from Matt Cronin uh, because they've done well while missing key pieces from the pen recently. Without uh, Cody Scroggins last weekend, without Kostyshak the week before, Arkansas still had success, and now both are expected to be back this weekend against Kentucky. So I think I, I feel pretty good about the pen. Plus Elijah Elijah Trest and Jacob Burton have. I think started to at least show signs that as freshmen with great stuff, they're now starting to throw more strikes. So you feel good about the pen. The offense, hey, th- this lineup is good. I mean, they're averaging about what 10, 11 runs a game in these last ten. So they are. They're playing. They're playing really good baseball right now. This team is bought in, and I th- I think they bought in from the start. And the truth is, you if you don't buy into what Dave Van Horn is planning to do for you, uh, then don't show up on campus. You know what I mean? It's you, and and, that, and I think that's understood. Once you once you appear uh, on campus at Arkansas to play baseball, is that you've already bought in to to everything you already know about Dave Van Horn as a coach and Arkansas as a baseball program, and and it's kind of been like that for a long time. The the other major sports on campus, it's it's still kind of being set in there. I mean, with basketball, you're still in the first month, so. Who knows who has bought in and who has not bought in yet? We know Gentel Silla has bought in. Uh, UNC Wilmington transfer has bought into Eric Musselman. He's already committed to transfer for his last year. And we'll see who else is going to stick around, plus all these other offers that have been thrown out there to top talent across the country, whether or not they're going to buy in. For Chad Morris in football, you're seeing a little more of a... You have the year. You have the one season. You have now the the first few months of the off season to maybe get a sense of who has bought in and maybe who hasn't bought in and definitely you know based upon the the players that have transferred out and what number are we up to on on transfers it's, out of football it's 30 plus that are known and there's there's some that we might not know not but it's over 30 right now that have either transferred medical hardship and there's other various things that have occurred but it's a, it's a good number since Chad Morris arrived here in December of 2017 Phil well, I guess the first that didn't buy in was Jonathan Nance, right? He, I mean, he he transferred. He announced he was transferring out in October. Yeah, early. So he was the first. Uh, since the end of the season, uh, a lot more names have appeared in that transfer portal. Um, you know, and it's not to say that Ty Story and Cole Kelly didn't buy in last year to Chad Morris. It's just they weren't going to fit the plans any longer. Yeah, for what you need at quarterback to find success and are are Ben Hicks and and Nick Starkle are they are they what you need I don't know but they've bought in they've already bought in to what Chad Morris has planned for them which is a competition for the starting role this next season in 2019 and you know we'll, we we can talk about Connor Nolan another time as far as where he fits into the quarterback standing and KJ Jefferson too Did you hear Scotty yesterday on Ruskin and Zach Hear what he had to say? No. He said that he doesn't think Connor Nolan is going to take another snap on the football field for the University of Arkansas. Referring to games, not practice. But I thought that was kind of interesting for him to come out and say that. And I think you're not you're not all the way there yet, but the more success he has on the baseball field, I think you're gonna inch that direction as well. Well, I think the writings are on the wall both ways from from who's already coming to campus now yeah. that wasn't part of the team last year and I think that includes KJ Jefferson and the transfers and and the other side of the writing on the wall is are all the zeros that Connor Nolan's been throwing up there in scoreless innings in these last two weeks so yeah that that also will because I don't see anything changing right now because football's done until August so he's just focused on baseball and I think he'll get a lot of questions about that as this baseball season uh, wraps up, and as you get into media days for football, um, so and it's only going to heat up if he continues to have the success in postseason play. It's one thing to do it yes. early on in non-cons; it's another thing to do it in conference play. 
and you go down to Hoover. But if he if he manages to kind of stay at an even pace come postseason, Phil, those questions they're not going to go away. They're only going to get there. He's only going to get more of them when it occurs to baseball and football. But he's bought. I think he's bought into pitching right now. Mm-hmm. I, that's pretty obvious to see with success the way that he's that he's mounted these last couple of times out. Uh, so. So b- baseball's in a place where everybody seems like they've bought in. Basketball, it, it'll take some time, though. Although the you know you can you can you only need you know two handfuls of players to buy in theoretically, and and you're set with your guys ready to go for for football. I mean, how many? Gosh, you need about fifty different players to buy in. It's just such a harder sport to turn over players and, and turn over the system because of how many more players are on the football field, how many more players are in the locker room and how many more players impact the overall game. Because we always talk about how in basketball, of the three major sports we talk about daily in this program, that's the easiest one to turn around. You get two or three players in there, your program with just even subpar coaching has a good chance to be successful. Football, it's a completely different story. The coaching cycles that have to change, and just the different coordinators that come in, the different philosophies, it takes so much more time. And you almost have to require more patience from fans when it comes to football. But Phil, as we know, that's where the least patient fans are is in the realm of college football. Yeah, we all want it. We all want it right now. And and you, I mean, who's got to be more patient? Players that are battling for playing time or fans that are waiting for wins? Because the players are the ones that have to buy in. I think most of the fan base is still on the fence a little bit. You're you're you've bought in, in theory, based upon the energy that we're seeing from Chad Morris and his coaching staff and the recruits that are being brought in, uh, they have to buy in as to where they fit in, where the playing time will be. And look, if, if you're getting these sort of athletes to campus, they're buying into the energy and the thought that they can play here. Uh, plus some of the players that have stuck around. Top of the list is um, is Sosa Aguim, somebody that could have jumped for the NFL and, uh, might not have had the seasons or success uh, as a defensive lineman at Arkansas to where you're going early in the draft, but still in a place where if you're not buying into playing another year at Arkansas, you can go to the NFL. And McTelvin, a game, would have been drafted if he would have left after this past season. With that body, with that speed, with that size, and... I think you, you would have seen him go in, in maybe not, certainly not early in the draft, but he could have gone and have a little bit of leverage uh, at the same time. Uh, this is somebody that could still make a, make a difference, and he's bought into the, to the case of sticking and moving to a new position, moving into the interior uh, where he can have uh, maybe a little bit more impact. So it's good to see somebody of that, of that caliber of an athlete that had the choice, do I jump? Or do I stay, and can I get better while I'm here? He he has bought in, and hopefully that's a good sign for some better statistics. You know, a better, more production at that position in his last year, and the last chance to to make an impact here at Arkansas. Here's Chad Morris and how Sosa's really bought in heading into his senior year. Several that have stood out that had a great spring. I think, you know, obviously Sosa making the transition from outside to inside uh, and being fully committed and bought in. I mean, one of the messages that I shared with him back in January is don't don't come back if you're not fully bought in and moving inside. And, and he, he understood that. He was great. He met with his family and said, Coach, I'm ready. And, uh, and it paid off. With so many players today, jumping ship at the slightest sense of turbulence. It's kind of interesting that this is a guy that, as you mentioned, could have been drafted and would have been drafted along with Armand Watts, Dre Greenlaw, and Yelda Froholt. And yet he decided to come back for a senior year. And I think it's a part of Chad Morris and he likes the John Chavis system. He sees the players that John Chavis has put in the NFL. And I also think it plays into the fact that he was a lot more hyped heading into college as the five-star guy out of hope and maybe that plays in the fact that he doesn't feel like he's lived up to the potential. But Phil, as you mentioned, not only with the basketball program, with Eric, Mus- Eric Musman trying to change the culture, what he wants with that. Baseball, you remember the conversation we had with Joe Serrano a few months back? How he said he kind of arrived, kind of chirpy, happy-go-lucky, and then he realized when he got there, ah, I can't really do that as much. I can do it every once in a while, but like this is completely different from high school. 
Well, Chad Morris is the exact same way. He comes across as a no-nonsense guy, calling last season unacceptable, completely unacceptable, multiple times. It seems like it was the rhetoric he shared with us and his players on a daily basis, and it's one thing to say it, but it's another thing to completely change it and implement what he wants because, as we know, that takes time. And you got to get the guys to fit to his system. And it's I don't even know, and even if we can say heading into year two, if all of his players are completely bought in, because that takes time, it takes success, and it, it again, it just it, it doesn't happen overnight. But at least when you see an example like Sosa, when you see other guys that have decided to come back for their senior year and really buy in, it's a start. Now it's about finishing the process, and we'll see if he can do it these next few years. Has Justice Hill bought into football yet? Wait, that's just been a dry spell. Like I haven't heard anything about that. And I'm kind of curious with Eric Musselman coming in, Phil, if the idea of Justice participating in both football and basketball, if that's been nixed. Because I know you had a conversation with Tyler Wilson. We've talked about it multiple times. How Bobby Petrino was like, you're not playing baseball. You're just going to play football. And I know that changed with Chad Morris allowing Connor Nolan to play both baseball and football. But I'm kind of curious with Justice Hill being on a basketball scholarship, which is the key, if Musselman's going to allow him to play football. I'm, the next media conversation, then I hope someone asked that because I think that's kind of a it's kind of a point that we we simply haven't hit on in quite some time. He did take part in some spring practice, mm-hmm. correct? Once basketball season was done, once they were knocked out of the NIT, and he, he wasn't traveling with the team by that point. He was just practicing with the basketball team, and that was it, which means you're not traveling. So he did take part in some of the spring practices. He did not play in the spring game, correct? Not I don't that, think he did. That would have been like a big deal, unless, yeah. unless you and me are just like having one of those combined brain farts we did, but I just haven't seen anything concerning Justice Hill being a part or trying to be a part of the football program, and I feel like that would be relevant news that wh- whoever's right, whether it's Richard, Danny, like Nikki, like one of these people, we could probably ask Nikki when we get on at the bottom of the hour, but I just haven't seen anything. I know it's our job to know this stuff, but we just, like, I look. I mean, I looked up before the show, and I just haven't seen any recent news concerning Justin Hill, Justice Hill and the Arkansas football program. Well, and with with all of the with all of the um, grad transfers looking at Arkansas, with all of the other offers that uh, Coach Musselman and his staff, or whatever makeup of the staff we know about, have been sending out offers and contacting recruits, and with with Justice's standing as the lone recruit for 2019, yeah. 2020. I mean, he was the one incoming player, um, and. It, you just wonder where where his standing is, and I, I kind of wondered where his standing was, even even if there wasn't a coaching change, uh, you know, just based upon uh, based upon the things that I know as you know as uh, for him as a basketball player and as a football player, you kind of wondered, you know, where where is it you're going to try to make your impact? Where are you going to be allowed to make that impact? That's as probably well? the better question to ask is where are you going to be allowed to? Because yeah, we don't know Eric Musselman's ideas, philosophies when it comes to two-way players. We don't know if he's okay with that. We don't know if he's completely against it. I just think that's something we're going to find out in time. It could come out in the next few weeks. Uh, yeah, Justin's not, Justice is no longer playing football. He's he's 100% focused on basketball, or it could be the opposite way where he says, yes, we're going to allow him to participate in both sports, but I, just, I don't think there's anything of note that's come out of it as of late. Right, and you—I mean, would would football save a scholarship for him? And without looking immediately to see the scholarship situation, um, and that's the other thing that's different about the the Connor Nolan story is that this is a a, a a baseball player right now who's on the football scholarship. Yeah, and you know the situation with baseball scholarships, nobody can get a full baseball scholarship. It's just impossible when you're dealing with eleven point seven, and the rules say nobody can have a full scholarship. So. If he were to switch to baseball, you lose that full ride, and then you're on a different sort of a of a schedule and how you're paying for school. And I don't know what you know the Nolan situation, the old family situation, financially or monetarily. But that's I mean that's one that's one reason why high school players end up going pro pros sometimes is you know you get that signing bonus a little bit quicker. Yeah, and that's one of the questions I want to ask Chris Burke when we have him in hour number two ESPN baseball analysts that how do college coaches in college baseball 
how do they leverage or how do they convince a kid coming out of high school that's being offered all this money to come pay to play baseball, which is interesting. And then on kind of back to Justice, Phil, Fitzhill was on the buzz a couple months back, and he was talking about how Chad kind of laid it out for Justice. Hey, we'd really like you to come play, but if he, it's ultimately up to you what he decide. And he kind of just noticed the different, um, just how Chad Morris was as a recruit, like how he, he, he noticed how players were drawn to Chad Morris because of how he talked and treated Justice and giving him um, different avenues, different ways if he wanted to participate in football. And that's not, you got, you start, we talk about starting from the ground floor up with some of these recruits he's bringing in, like a Trey Knox, like a Colin Clay, like some of these big time guys. But then also the fact that these senior leaders that were originally recruited by Brett Bielema and his staff, they have to completely change over and decide we're going to stick it out. We're going to stick it out with this new coach, even though we were originally recruited by another. And hopefully by the end of our career here, we'll either have a solid enough ground where this program can continue to build or will be the jump start for this next crop of young guys that are coming in. You're listening to the Halftime Podcast. Follow the guys on Twitter at Phil Elson PXP and at Ty Sports Radio. And it's Joe Adams with a hurdle. Great speed. Adams down the wow. sideline. He's gone. 92 yards for a touchdown. Nikki, how's it going today? It's great. It's our one year anniversary. So I'm just kind of soaking in the whole last year and uh, looking forward to next year. I saw you mention that on your on your Twitter. Congratulations on making it a year at Arkansas. It's usually that's fir- the first year is always the toughest. Did you find that uh, Did you find that to be true? Was this Was this a I don't know if tough would be the right year, but was it a trying year in uh, in the new in the new job? You know, there were some down moments, but I feel like the lessons I've learned have really prepared me to uh, to succeed in the future. And I know kind of what to expect from the fan base now in any given situation. So it's it's nice. Well, what's your what's your impressions? Because the fan base is really who we all are are playing towards and playing for and writing for. Is you know that, that's that's why we have these shows. That's why we have Rivals dot com. Give me give me your impression of the Arkansas fan base and how it might differ from other fan bases that you've either been a part of or gotten to know. Well, they're incredibly passionate. I came from SMU, and there's not a whole lot of fans like that, but they're incredibly passionate. And you kind of have to take into account how much they've been through and you have to be sensitive about that. So that's something I've kind of adjusted in my year uh, in Fayetteville, uh, trying to put myself in the fans' shoes to give them, you know, accurate takes of what's going on, but, but not being a Debbie Downer about it. Nobody likes a Debbie Downer. I guess there are some places that like it, but Arkansas wouldn't be one of those spots. I'd say about eighty percent would would rather not be would rather be pixie dust. You know, to borrow the term that I've called Bubba a couple of times. Yeah. Well, so um, you got some visitors coming in for uh, from for more for uh, football visits coming in this weekend, correct? Yeah, I've confirmed four of them, and there might be a fifth, a JUCO linebacker who is currently committed to. Minnesota from Butler in um, in Kansas, but the other four are all high school guys, um, and I and I particularly like one of them to commit this weekend, and that's Brandon Frazier. He's from McKinney North in Texas. He's a tight end, so Arkansas already has one tight end committed in Alan Horace. He's also from Texas, but Brandon Frazier, uh, he's probably more ready to commit than anyone else. He cut down a list of top eight, and Arkansas is definitely in the front half of that list, and he's visited here more than any other school. So I could see him shutting it down. He kind of knows what he's getting out of Coach Lenny in the program, so I could see that happening. They're also welcoming a three-star wide receiver from Texas, from Marshall High School, Savion Williams. He's really quick for a 6'4", almost 200-pound receiver. Uh, that's kind of the prototype uh, that Justin Stepp likes to work with. So I could see them, you know, kind of pushing him for a commitment. Uh, they're, they have two com- wide receiver commits right now, and one of them, Xavier Capers from Georgia. 
he is being pursued really hard by their schools. He just took an official visit to South Carolina. So I think uh, if there are guys coming in that they like well enough, they're, they're not going to wait because they already have some commits. They're going to take as many as they can and work out with the numbers later because you never know who's going to decommit down the line. Talking with they Nick. also have... Oh, sorry, go ahead. They also, yeah, they also have an athlete uh, who plays corner mostly, Jahari Rogers, but he's going to be really tough. He's an Oklahoma legacy, and from what I've heard, uh, Oklahoma would be very happy to have him. So usually that's how that goes. And they also have a three-star uh, offensive lineman, Garrett Hayes. And everyone thought that Hayes might uh, commit when he was on the Hill last time, but then A&M really started pushing heavy for for the Athens-Texas native. So we'll see how much progress Arkansas can make this weekend on all those guys. It's a Tuesday, so Nikki Shamnell, Rivals, and Hogbeats, our guests. Nikki, Rakeem Boyd has gotten a lot of hype heading in this 2019 season. At times, he showed flashes. I know he was banged up a lot last year. I think I attribute some of that to playing Juco the year before and then coming in to try and play a daunting SEC schedule. You think he's deserving of the hype he's getting heading into this season? I think he is, and I think he's only going to get better uh, once he's fully healthy now because he had an injury that nagged him for most of last season, he was still able to push through not a whole lot of games that he was able to go the full game. But, um, I mean, he just has some really natural, like really strong natural ability and instincts. And there are a lot of times where he's maybe a little too patient uh, behind the offensive line and he needs to just uh, find a hole and get out there. But I think he's definitely poised to be one of the top rushers in the SEC next season. So Phil and I opened up the show talking about players buying in, and one of the questions we had for each other that really neither of us had solid answers for is, what's the deal with Justice Hill? And the fact that we haven't really heard anything on Eric Musselman's philosophy concerning players playing both basketball and football. Have you heard anything with Justice Hill's status, possibly still being able to play football? Well, no, I haven't heard anything new since, uh, Coach Musselman arrived. It seems like Justice is very focused on playing basketball, and that's what we had heard from him. And last time we talked to Coach Morris, which was probably like a month ago now, he didn't say that there had been any movement on getting him to come play football. Um, but I think that's probably for the best. Coach Morris only has two spots left to fill um, for this coming season, and they really need help um, at linebacker and maybe a secondary player. So uh, I, I just don't see it working out like as, as few scholarships as there are in basketball and how that would help them doesn't really trump how important those last two spots are to the football team. Nikki, we've got uh, a couple more minutes left here. Well, let's switch over to basketball. Uh, an offer going out to Jabri Abdur-Rahim. Can you tell us about him? Honestly, they have been offering so many really, really talented uh, high school athletes that it's been tough to keep up with him all but uh he is a four-star prospect 6'6 180 they've offered i want to say more than 10 2020 prospects for that hoops class and you hope that they tackle the in-state guys first and, and get them on board but we just don't know how many spots there will be for next year's class right now if nobody was to leave they would only have um two spots i think for next year but you, you know you're hitting on something that I've, I've i feel i've picked up on too it's difficult sometimes for me to keep up with all of the the recruiting aspects of football because of the number of scholarships you have and the number of offers that go out and and that's one of the things that you that you're so good at i almost feel like but like arkansas basketball is trending in that direction at least at the start of, of eric musselman's tenure uh, because the offers have come fast and furious these last couple of weeks, and I've had I've, it's it's been almost impossible for me to keep track of it, and and that's that's one of the things that that, that you're trying to focus on too. You have that sense? Are they kind of just sending tons of offers out to the best talent of the country, just hoping on a whim, or is there a legitimate chance with most of these kids? Uh, well, you never know what Musselman can bring from a recruiting standpoint. He did manage to sign. And all, uh, a McDonald's All-American to Nevada, and that's, that's surprising. Uh, but right now he kind of has to send out this many offers, and you want them to be, you know, 
four-star, five-star offers just to get your foot in the door because these these prospects have been picking up offers since they were freshmen in, in high school. So right now he's kind of behind and he needs to get to work on selling those guys on, on what he's bringing to the table and getting them to Arkansas. But I have a hard time believing that Coach Anderson would have been aiming this high uh, for, for prospects. I, I think he looks for guys that were serviceable, but, you know, maybe didn't want to work as hard to see to, to see just how good of a player he could get here. Nikki, I was listening to Eric Musselman on Andy Katz's podcast today, and he kind of talked about they don't have a five-man right now, and they might not get one. And he talked about how he would put a small forward and a power forward in that position if need be, and he didn't want to make a mistake in filling that hole by just some player that didn't fit his system. I know Auburn's had success with kind of playing small ball under Bruce Pearl in the SEC, but do you think Eric Musselman in Arkansas can afford to play really in, in this conference, especially being hiding with all these new coaches trying to play small ball? I think he can. A big a big part of his offensive strategy is, you know, uh, spreading the ball out and getting a lot of shots up. And with the personnel that he has right now and the guys he's trying to add, He's, he's looking for scorers, and uh, if, he, if he has guys in the middle that can kick it out and find those open open guys while still doing you know a good amount of work in the paint and, and rebounding is key. I think you could see Reggie Chaney really having a big year and taking over in the middle, um, as well as trying to get Gabe some more in the middle. And uh, we have um, Gentil Silla coming in as well. He's already signed and. I think you could see a lot more small ball, and I think it'll work out fine for them. Not all of the teams that were deep into the tournament this year had, you know, a classic big man. So I think he'll work it out just fine, but he is looking for some larger players for the next two classes. All right, speaking of large players, and Nikki, we'll finish on this. Kerry Blackshear out of Virginia Tech, he's trying to transfer. He's entered the portal after his former coach, Buzz Williams, is going to Texas and is at Texas A&M. I know John Calipari had an in-home visit with him last week, and I know Arkansas has been leaked to him. Is there any chance at all that he ends up choosing the Razorbacks? I haven't heard as much on him as some other of the transfers. Like I, I didn't really hear that he was trying to set up a visit here. So for now, I'm going to say no, but they have put their foot in the door to, to see if he has any interest, but uh, he's obviously a very, very talented player and could go play at one of the top schools in the nation right now and not have to wait and see what's going to happen with the team and how they're going to piece everything together. Mickey, you're always great with your time. Thanks so much for coming on today. And uh, here's to a great second season here in, uh, in Arkansas covering Razorback Athletics. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Subscribe to Hit That Line on iTunes. You're listening to the Halftime Pod. Swung on up the middle for a base hit. And you can't put this one to bed. The Razorbacks come back and walk on. I'm not going to say you lucked into this situation because everything you've done to this point you've earned and you're really good at baseball play-by-play. But my goodness, you got yourself a good gig, Phil. Think about a broadcaster. Think about other broadcasters, not just in college baseball, but consistently get to call baseball or whatever sport they're calling for that has a chance to win it all, what seems like, almost every year. Now, that's not that's kind of a blanket statement on the Arkansas baseball team because there's obviously been years that they haven't been as good as the others and they've had a much better chance of getting and winning out of Omaha than they have other years, but consistently... This is one of the best baseball programs in the country, and you get to call baseball. You're not having to call, you're not having to call baseball games for Alabama or a program that's at the right. bottom tier of the SEC. It's like calling. It's not Alabama football like Eli Gold, but you're getting. To, you're almost like the Michigan State basketball broadcaster. I don't know who that is, but consistently, Omaha's they're basically in the final four every four years. That's the equivalent for Dave Van Horn. I remember when I was interning for Barton Bow a couple years back. And they made that comparison. That's pretty much the same comparison. You yeah. get to go to Omaha about every four years. Only difference is you don't have that national championship. And yeah. Michigan State has a couple in basketball. Yep, that's true. They, man, but they haven't had one under Izzo since 2000. I know. That Isn't was surprising. That when we were talking about the Final Four going in, I thought, wow, I, th- I thought there was another one thrown in there. But it's just it, 
I guess eventually you just kind of figure after all these trips to the Final Four that there'd be another national title thrown in there. You almost feel that way about Arkansas baseball. Nine uh, trips mm-hmm. nine trips to Omaha and and two second-place finishes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, though, we know that in Arkansas, but I think across the college baseball landscape, there might be might be some people that are that pay attention that are a little surprised that don't have at least at least one. Is this team the first one to do it this year? I don't know, but right now don't put that in people's heads. Bill. I don't know, but they're playing pretty darn well. I can I can only tell you that they're beating good teams too. Yeah. All right, it is uh, it is early in the first hour on Tuesday. We got some things that are going around. We got some things that you got to kick out of your way and get off your lawn. Did you hear me? I said get off my lawn now. Old man, my ass. Perhaps I could be of some assistance. You're on Facebook, huh? Well, I've been trying to figure it out. I joined about 10 minutes ago. Well, barely than never. Get off my lawn. So the first thing I'll start with are that the things are getting off of lawns across Major League Baseball. They're, they, they may end up setting an all-time record for home runs in a single season, the way things are, are going right now it's it's pretty astonishing when you when you look at some of the numbers here um baseball is on pace to shatter the record for six thousand well let's see they are on pace actually to shatter over six thousand one hundred and five home runs which was the the mlb record set in 2017 uh there have been a home run hit every 25.5 at bats and there have been uh, it, it, it's ridiculous. Look at this. There have been 1,111 home runs hit in a total of 954 games played. Uh, so you're you're averaging you're averaging over you're averaging well over two home runs per ball game because the 954 is to be divided into two. Uh, so you're you're going to see a major league record in home runs. Uh, could you imagine? Over Major League season, potentially seeing 6,500 home runs. They're pretty close to getting to that mark. Uh, the Yankees set the single-season home run record last year with 267. Get this. Entering yesterday's play, three teams were on pace to hit over 300 home runs. Wow. Yeah, the Twins are on pace for 317. The Mariners on pace for 308. And the Brewers, uh, at this pace, would hit over 300, but would hit 301 home runs. Now, the Baltimore Orioles are on pace to allow the most home runs ever hit by a pitching staff, uh, which was 216, uh, pardon me, 2016 Reds allowed 258 home runs, and Baltimore already has allowed 73 homers in 30 games. They're giving up over two home runs per ball game. So, uh, and, and look, baseball has adjusted to the major league shift, to the infield shift in a way where we, the best way to beat the shift is not to bunt against it. It's not to hit through the shift or to go the other way against the shift. It's to hit it over the shift and hit it over. That's the one thing that can't be defensed in baseball. There's two things that can't be defensed in baseball. One, walks. You can't do anything about a walk because the ball's not put into play. You can't defense a strikeout because it's over everybody's head, and there's literally no way to do anything with that. And and that's the direction Major League Baseball took and you know this this doesn't have anything to do with with with, with steroids with performance enhancing drugs this has to do with a change in the approach of hitting um, that it used to be they wanted you to hit line drives and hard ground balls well they don't want you to hit ground balls anymore now they want you to hit high drives that just keep going get backspin on the ball the way you hit it um, batters are being taught with this whole launch angle craze to get it as high in the air and hit it out as far as you possibly can. This is the, this is different than the ball being juiced. This is different than the players uh, being juiced. This is, this is the direction baseball has taken, much in the same way that the NBA has taken to the three-point shot, and not just the three-point shot, but even, you know, the extremely ridiculously deep three-point shot. So the way baseball is being played now, and the numbers are playing it out in front of you, it's, I mean, if you got a lawn, and that's all baseball fields are, they're just giant lawns, that baseball's getting off my lawn, Ty. All right, we'll go back to my first get off my lawn. Way back in 1991, first round of the playoffs, game three, where Michael Jordan decided to baptize Patrick Ewing and tell him to get off his lawn. Jordan trying to shake off Starks. Oh, please, let's see that again. 
again. A hundred times. Jordan on the beautiful dismissal of the defense. This case Starks and then Oakley and then the deception. No, I'm not going away from the hoop. And who's at the end waiting but Patrick Ewing? I feel like Pat Riley, the New York Knicks, Patrick Ewing, and John Starks always got the brunt of some of Michael Jordan's best games, best moments, best anything. It's kind of like what what Jordan used to be to the bad boys, the Pistons, Mm -hmm. the back-to-back championship team. They were always just not quite good enough to beat them. It was the same way with the Knicks and the Bulls in the in the early 90s. Yeah, it just kind of transitioned because what happened is you have Jordan's Bulls falling falling to them in 80, 88, 89, and 90. Remember Scotty's migraine game, Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals, and then eventually they were able to beat him in 91, and then the Knicks became the quote-unquote the bad boys, but Riley's teams weren't able, able ever to get over the hump. But then you also have... Scotty Pippen just absolutely posterizing Patrick Ewing on that one fast break dunk a couple years later in 94, and it just always seems like they would be on the, the bad end of Jordan or Scotty's dunk. So, yeah, the first get-off-my-lawn moment has to come from Michael Jordan 28 years ago, Phil. All right, my second. I brought this up yesterday briefly, uh, and I mean, I've never believed when I hear fans complain about an anti-Arkansas bias in, in in the SEC office, I just I wouldn't I couldn't understand why why a league would have a bias against any of them. Maybe maybe a bias for a school in their conference specifically, but against I just don't know if I would if I ever believed it. And and then I see stuff like and again I don't know who votes on these. And awards. then it's a baseball guy, and then just that your perspective completely changes, doesn't it? Well, I don't know I don't know who votes for the awards. That's the thing. If it's coaches, if it's media members. Or if it's just, you know, somebody in the offices in Birmingham that's saying, well, this is going to be our, our hitter of the week and our pitcher of the week and our freshman of the week. But, but all right, so let me give you these pitching lines here and tell me who you think had the better week. Uh, a pitcher that goes seven innings and gives up four base hits, two runs, one earned, no walks, ten strikeouts, and wins the game 13-3. to Beats Texas A&M. Pretty good team. Texas A&M's probably going to... Uh, they got a chance to host. Uh, they they're going to be a regional team. Uh, it's a good performance, pretty good. The other pitcher went seven innings, gave up two hits, which is two fewer than four. One run, one fewer than two. No, none earned, which is which is one fewer than one. Uh, one walk, and then struck out ten. So you, you allowed fewer base runners, fewer runs, same amount of innings. Beat Tennessee. Tennessee also looks like a regional team. So who had the better week? To Six. me, it's. Yeah. Go ahead. Statistics Go ahead. say it's the latter. It's the second guy. Right. It would be the guy that went seven innings and gave up no runs, not the guy that went seven innings and gave up two runs. It's not even a matter that it was fluky. Four hits is also more than two hits, right? Yeah. I'm getting my numbers right here. Okay, so then how does Doug Nikhazy, the left-hander for Ole Miss, who's good, really good, uh, end up with the Freshman of the Week award in the SEC uh, and Connor Nolan doesn't for the second week in a row. Do they not allow this to happen two weeks in a row? Is there a rule against the same player winning an award two weeks in a row? Then again, Connor already had to share the Freshman of the Week award with Cole Henry of LSU when he shut out Mississippi State over seven and two-thirds innings. That same Mississippi State team that had been leading the SEC in runs scored all year long. I just don't get it. I really don't, and I don't think I will. So I'm, I may have to tell the SEC office that I've got, I've got a few blades of grass out here in front of me. There is some sand on this field too, by the way, because it's not the prettiest looking field these days. But I got a few blades of grass. SEC office, whoever it is that comes up with these awards, this is a sh- small little lawn, and I need you off of it. All right. So I've never asked you this before. Is your full name Philip or is it just Phil? It's Philip with one L. Philip with one L. Okay. Well, I'm going to sit you down. And say Philip. This is the time in your life, even though that I'm the younger one, trying to talk to a guy that's 18 years older and trying to get this in his head. This is the time in your life where you embrace that Arkansas continuously, year after year, week after week, month after month, gets screwed over somehow, some way by the SEC. And you don't have to have any rhyme or reason for believing it, but as an Arkansas sports radio, you just buy into it and feed the the mob, feed the crowd. So just, are are you going to be a part of it now, now that a baseball guy... Got screwed over by this? Can you can you join the fight? 
against the mighty SEC? All of my preconceived notions are being destroyed right in front of my eyes. Uh, it's like the reality I've lived in all these years is just crumbling. I'm so happy to hear that. I'm so happy to hear that. So speaking of stuff crumbling, I'm really excited that you got me into Game of Thrones, but I'm not excited about the fact that I feel like I know how everything ends now because people constantly are talking about it on social media. Somehow, some way, I avoided the spoiler in the ending of Avengers Endgame, which I didn't watch until yesterday, which I thought was fantastic, by the way. I know you're not into that, but you are a Game of Thrones guy. And I just can't avoid it on social media. Like I, I know what happens already, which is kind of a bummer. And it's my own fault for waiting this long. I have to watch about 50 episodes in the next 19 days in order to finish it by the time the final episode is released on May 19th, which I don't know if I'm going to be able to do. But my get-off-my-lawn moment, my stand, is for all the people just tweeting about and talking about it who are on my timeline. And You can only, you know how you can delete stuff on, on Twitter and Facebook, certain you words? Can, you can mute you can words mute and mm-hmm. mute people on Twitter and Facebook. But even, even if I've done that, like other stuff pops up that it, they just don't use the words that I initially thought would be needed to take out of the vocabulary on Twitter in order for, for me not to get a spoiler. So continuously, I'm just seeing these things pop up. It's like, okay, this ruins this, this ruins this. Now I know about this. Now I know about that. Which is just kind of a bummer because one of the great things about movies, cinema, TV programs, whatever it may be, is the suspense. The fact that you don't know what's going to happen next. Well, Phil, I know what's going to happen next, and I'm kind of bummed out about it. So all those people tweeting about it and putting out social media and talking about it before I've finished and or even gotten close to that point. They can get off my lawn. Because this is really, this is like the one show now I feel that, you know, you're watching week after week. Yeah. You know, and if you're not up to date with it, then you're you're screwed. You, it's can't, you can't avoid it, man. You no. legitimately cannot avoid it. I can't even avoid it in my friend group because the majority of my friends are talking about it. And so I have to mute group text or mute certain conversations I'm in because I don't want to catch up on it. I don't want any of the spoilers. And I already know enough because of everything that's been plastered in front of my face. But unfortunately, I think it's just going to continue. And I think that more spoilers are going to come about. You know, I've seen some pretty dire warnings placed on business locations on the front doors that are that are warning people to not give up any of the plot pieces of Avengers Endgame. Specifically, I haven't seen this about Game of Thrones. Wow. But it's like they are threatening people who... Who uh, who say anything about the movie in the business with being kicked out of the business, whether it's a restaurant or an arcade? I went to this arcade in Fayetteville, and they had that up there too. I've seen other people take photos of signs that are saying the exact same thing, but I don't see this about Game of Thrones. Is that like in reference about, to their employees, Phil, or what is that? I think it's reference to anybody that's okay. walking in there because they just want the secret of whatever's happening. And I have not watched enough of the Avengers movies to. To just go see Endgame and say, "All right, well now I've seen it. I feel like I need to keep to to to, to catch up on all of it. You know, do my 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 movie binge watching before I end up seeing Endgame. So I feel like I'm I don't know how I'm going to be able to avoid this for the next however long it takes to get there. All right, so the last one, and I'm keeping it baseball the entire time. Did you see Casey Mize? Uh, last last year's first overall pick, mm. Auburn ace, SEC pitcher of the year, All American, loser to the Razorbacks, they lost to uh, Blaine Knight, two to one in a game at Baumwalker Stadium. That was uh, that was a thrilling game. Uh, he is on fire. He made his Double A debut yesterday for the Erie Seawolves, the Tigers Double A affiliate, playing against the Pirates Double A affiliate in Altoona. So they're just kind of surrounding my hometown almost of Pittsburgh. And this game was it was at Altoona at the Double A ballpark. That's got a uh, it's it's got a roller coaster past right field, and I'm sure it felt like it was all downhill for 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 Casey Mize. He threw a Maddox, not just a Maddox, but a no hitter of a Maddox. Uh, he throws, and this is Double A debut. The biggest jump in minor league baseball is from Single A to Double A. Uh, not double A to triple A. I mean, you go to triple A to the major leagues, that's a bigger jump. But yeah. if you're talking within the context of the levels of minor league baseball, single A to double A is the biggest and most difficult jump, and he had no problem with it. First, he had no trouble at single A, where at Lakeland he gave up one run in 26 innings and had a total of eight base runners in those 26 innings and struck out 25. That's stupid good numbers. And then he goes up to double A and just like, oh, whatever, add another A to this. 
and he throws the no-hitter on 98 pitches, which is one fewer than you need to qualify for a Maddox. Struck out seven, and uh, the game took just two hours and two minutes for a one nothing win. So Casey Mize is telling double-A hitters and probably soon some triple-A hitters, you wonder, you wonder if he's if you're looking at a kid that may be making a major league debut at some point later this year. Maybe he gets there before uh, before one full year after he was drafted first overall. And when you watch the Aces that pitch in the SEC, it, sometimes it's amazing to think you might be you might be watching somebody that's pitching in the big leagues the very next year. And Casey Mize right now is telling them, "Get off my lawn." I don't know what the timeline of Blaine Knight or Brady Singer or some of the other guys, but. That seems like it's pretty impressive for that to occur so quickly with a, a league that it usually takes multiple years in the minors before you get to the bigs. But kid's got some stuff, Phil. And you're probably curious why I asked you your full name. And I'm surprised I haven't ever asked you before on, on air or off air. And the reason for that is because Brett Brown, the head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers last night, didn't know that Jimmy Butler's real name was Jimmy Butler. Not James. It's Jimmy. not James. Okay. Jimmy. So here's what he had to say last night after the 76ers win over the Raptors. This was James Butler. That was the adult in the gym. And he, he was just a tremendous rock. Coach came in here and he said, this wasn't Jimmy Butler tonight. It was James Butler because name, how mature. My name isn't James. <laughs> Literally, it's Jimmy. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's funny. And I bet, I bet they had a good laugh about it. But <laughs> that would be so awkward as the head coach, or if you were a general manager, the president, or the owner, and you thought a player just because the common the common theme amongst like Jimmy or or certain nicknames they go along with another name, and you just assume sometimes, even though you shouldn't, you should you know what you do if you assume you hey you we don't have to go on that, but it's it's one of those scenes where you should always double check, and I, I know Brett Brown's got a lot of other things on his mind in the second round of the playoffs in the. Easter Conference semifinals, but that that was a funny moment last night. And and Jimmy Butler, not James Butler, Jimmy Butler told his head coach to get off his lawn. Subscribe to Hit That Line on iTunes. You're listening to the Halftime Pod. Swung on, up the middle for a base hit. And you can't put this one to bed. The Razorbacks come back and walk on. 